Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast, where we break down the classic and cutting-edge wisdom of self-help to discern how to actually make positive change in our lives and in the lives of others. I'm Kevin Miller. In this episode, I'm back with Dr. Becca Levy to talk about her values and motives and habits and the key areas of life fulfillment and look at how we have positive and negative perspectives and expectations around aging. This is a follow-up on episode 1003 where I talked with her. Uh, in aging these days, I mean, it, we seem to expect we're going to do so decline at earlier and earlier ages. And to a great degree, we will age as we expect to age. That's kind of Becca's message. So in this episode, we talk again to an expert around just that, the expectations we have and will likely manifest in our lives. Dr. Becca Levy, she's an award-winning Yale professor of psychology and global health. She received her PhD in psychology from Harvard University. She's given testimony before the United States Senate on the effects of ageism and contributed to briefs submitted to the United States Supreme Court in age discrimination cases. She's credited with creating a field of study that focuses on how positive and negative age stereotypes affect the health of all of us. And she's the author of Breaking the Age Code, How Your Beliefs About Aging Determine How Long and Well You Love, which again, just came out. That's what we talked about in episode 1003. You can find that book anywhere. You can connect with Becca at B-E-C-C-A dash levy.com. And I encourage you again, listen to episode 1003, as well as this one where we're talking about ageism and how we can age better by viewing it more positively. And of course, taking more positive actions. If you find value from this self-helpful podcast in this episode, subscribe so you don't miss any others, leave a review. Uh, it's cool to leave a review about a specific episode as well. Uh, the, the people I have on the show, the guests love that. Uh, but also best thing you can do, take something you learned, pass it on to somebody else. You can always find me at kevinmiller.co. Next up, Dr. Becca Levy. All right. It's fun to be talking about this before we get on here because it gives me some ideas and I'm thinking, yeah, in each of these areas, each of these spokes and highlight areas of life, you know, there's area I'm seeing already of ways that we have gotten negative about ageism and even, yeah, to look at the, the spiritual spoke of life, spiritual aspect of life that we tend to, I think we tend to maybe in that realm, give a little more thoughts to wisdom you know, of the elderly, maybe that's one that's not as negative. And we tend to give, we use that word in our first show together of reverence, probably in a spiritual faith-based context. We're probably, I mean, again, you're so acutely aware of the negative ageism that's gone on in the culture, but I wonder if that in that realm of spirituality and faith, we've probably maybe done a little bit of an uptick better job. Yeah, that's 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 a good thought. And I think there are definitely examples of yeah, older spiritual leaders that that you know exist in many different religions. Um and actually there was one of the people that I had an opportunity to interview who I really enjoyed talking to for the book was a woman who felt who who um she was I have a chapter on creativity in the book and it gave me a chance to talk to a lot of very creative older people and she was um the woman who I'm, I'm thinking of her name is Nancy and she was um a labyrinth maker so she wow. 
created these beautiful outdoor spaces that were very spiritual in how she described them. So she would actually like kind of close her eyes and find the center of a field that she felt like should be the beginning of this labyrinth. And then she would create these outdoor walking mazes that people of all generations could come together. She did this in the town of Greensboro, Vermont. And she described one of the things that she felt that she really enjoyed about creating these paths was she said they were temporary. So she loved the idea that there were these beautiful spaces that came together that people would enjoy in the moment. And it would, she thought it would really help them stay in the moment. And she said that she, she was inspired by these um, examples from different Eastern religions of creating beautiful um, sand art that is very uh-huh. temporary and people really enjoy the beauty of it, but they, part of the beauty is knowing that it will only be there in the moment and won't be there forever. So I think, um, so that comes to mind as somebody who drew on spirituality in later life. And she also felt like she was getting connected to some of her older relatives who she thought also were able to live in the moment. And so she had this great connection to older people and ancient religions and spirituality and creativity. Huh. Yeah. It's interesting as I think about that, that I do think I have a perspective in my mind of the elderly being a little more revered in the aspect of yeah, spirituality and and faith-based aspects. Though, now I'm thinking about the next one we've got here, relationships. And when I think of relationships, and just candidly thinking off the cuff here, thinking about relationships and getting older, it seems like what pops to mind from what I see and hear and am exposed to is a lessening of relationships and inability, especially in an age right now where we're seeing cognitive decline as an expectation. And it's that, I mean, my gosh, how many movies and shows are constantly happening where the parent no longer remembers the son, the daughter, the you know person's name, and it's a loss of relationship and the heartbreak with having this person who is dramatically dear to your life, who doesn't even remember you. So is that in relationships, is that would you say that, yeah, we have tended to give a, a negative view of relationships, expectation as we age? Yeah. So, I mean, you're getting at this challenge of yeah relationships that can definitely exist in later life. But there's also the research actually shows, interestingly, that there can be incredibly uh, resilience in relationships in later life as well. And so mm-hmm. uh, often... There can be this phenomenon of having fewer relationships, but having more meaningful relationships that that you kind of focus on. So, um, and actually during the pandemic, I don't know if you followed this research, but there was a surprising finding that has been found in, in many different studies that even though many people are experiencing social isolation, uh, and there was an expectation that the older generation, older people in these studies would be showing the most social isolation and the most loneliness. It's in fact, not the older people who are, it's actually younger adults who have been really suffering the most 
if you look at um, generational differences and a lot of older people, although there certainly is a lot of loneliness and a lot of um, challenges during the pandemic, don't get me wrong, I, I know that there's a lot of suffering, but it, as a group, older people seem to be showing more resilience during, during the pandemic and during times of social isolation. And I think in part because they've found ways to um, previously to connect to each other um, in different ways, whether it be, you know, like, uh, phone calls or letters or virtually or um, connecting to people of different generations in different ways and thinking about, how, you know, times, ways that they can spend their time that they feel is productive, you know, not necessarily um, being busy all, all the time, but finding ways to to fill the time in, in ways that, that feels meaningful to them. So, um, yeah. so, yes, I think you're right. I think there are certainly many examples of suffering around relationships, but there's also a number of examples of resiliency that I think are important to think about as well. But I guess on the other side of that too, is that expectation. We talked about retirement in the first show together, that as you have less demands on the day-to-day life, you don't have kids living at home, you don't have work that is as demanding, or maybe it's gone away, you've retired and you now have time. That is what we tend to hear, I guess, is now I've got time to go spend with my grandchildren uh, or with, you know, with my kids. And so I guess that would be the positive side of the aging is expectation to do that, though I'm used to, I think it's one of the deathbed regrets was I wish I had spent more time in the past with these relationships and not waited till, I don't know if they say that, I'm going to paraphrase and not waited till just the end too. That would be tragic. I would hate to think that that's what I'm doing right now is waiting till I can afford the time to spend with my family and miss out now. And of course I could disappear tomorrow. So, yeah. Right. Right. And I think, um, and, and as we talked about earlier, um, there, our, our society has become very age segregated, yeah. um, you know, in part because of this negative messaging about what it, what it means to spend time with different generations. But I think it's something that we know we can try to overcome with different kinds of purposeful activities. So there's nothing intrinsic about human relationships that says that we need to be age segregated. In fact, there's many examples of very age integrated cultures or, or subcultures. Um, and so I think looking to those and thinking about how to make connections, I think at, at different ages is really important. Well, the next one, health and wellness. I mean, that's gotta be, it's hard for me not to look at that one and go, gosh, we, they, we're just all negative on that one. We expect we talked about it again in, in the first show of, of uh, it seems earlier and earlier, we, we accept a, uh, expect a decline in health and wellness abilities. And then we have these, and I'm, I'll admit, I follow the unicorn stories you hear about of the, you know, 85 year old woman bodybuilder who just set a Guinness book, uh, world record, or, uh, it was last year or so. I think that a guy set the record for the plank all, all time record. And the guy was like 60 or 65 and you get these, you know, again, unicorns, but overall we just expect when we've got people like we mentioned before in the, in the first show who are in their whatever thirties, forties, fifties, and they're not doing these things that they used to be able to do. And it feels like a pretty significant negative expectation of health and wellness as we age starting earlier and earlier. Yes. Uh, I think you're right that there are a lot of negative messages, negative expectations about health and aging, but we know from our research that a number of health outcomes can be 
improved with, with strengthening positive age beliefs and a number of health outcomes that we associate with aging that many people assume, assume is going to happen to everybody, um, such as uh, decline in cognition across the board. Um, and uh, we, uh, so some of the things that people expect, we've been able to show in research that we, if we can strengthen the positive age beliefs or somebody comes into our project with more positive age beliefs they've taken in from the culture, that those positive age beliefs can actually contribute to good outcomes in what we usually associate with aging. And also we found that some of the um, some of the decline that people see in some of those outcomes seem to be attributed to negative age beliefs. So yeah. I think the positive um, message of that is that it shows that there's sort of this malleability of these age beliefs that we get in from the culture. So if we can flip those, if we can change from a mess a view of aging as a time of decline to an aging that has thriving as being part of it, that that can bring about changes in health. Yeah. And that in turn could change how we think about aging going forward. And that you started the book off with a story about you and your own negative ageism on running. So you're running and had an injury. Let's see, I think you were doing, was it a, a race, like a 5k or something like that? You went, you didn't have time to warm up. You went in and turns out you had a, uh, a muscle, um, spur, what did you do? Yes. So I, I, right. So I had a muscle pull that, um, so it was exactly. So, yeah, so that my, but my immediate thought when I, um, when that happened to me was that I had this image of this movie, um, called Lucy, I think it was called with the, when the main character, her body like slowly disintegrated into these little specks. And I, I just had this image of, you know, my body slowly disintegrating yeah. and, um, and I, you know, and I, and it was, it, and actually then it was my own daughter that pointed out that I hadn't warmed up and that could have led to this muscle, uh, muscle pull, which I, you know, later found out that that that's what it was that it, and so, but my immediate thought of going to this image of, yeah, breakdown, <laughs> I think was, um, I think that was kind of, I mean, that was in that case was actually a movie that was coming to mind. So it's definitely a message that I got from, from the environment and, you know, that that would impact how I thought about my own, um, aging body, you know, at that moment as, as a middle-aged running woman, um, I think was quite powerful and it's something that I study. So this is what I do for a living yeah. is I, you know, I study the impact of these cultural age beliefs, but I think, you know, but I think after recognizing that and seeing that that was what was happening with, with, um, it was quite powerful in my taking a moment and saying, okay, well, where did this message come from, you know, and how is that impacting me? And, is there a way to kind of reverse that and think about how to sort of overcome that? So I think it's, it's something that's very malleable. I think that's, that's the good news. Well, it gave me, uh, I paused a little bit reading that because as an athlete, I'm doing things and how I, as I am now 51, the propensity to consider, am I having that ache, that pain, that lessening, that whatever, because of age, or is it just the natural culmination of an action or, a, or, or an inaction that would have happened when I was 20? And you bring me to that. What you did, could that have just as well happened? You didn't warm up and you jumped into a race. Could you have had that same muscle pull at 20 and it was not an age thing? And so I'm looking at that, but it causes me to have more uh, accountability somewhat just for my actions and causation and to take out the excuse of age and say, no, that just happened because I had Poor, in your case, poor preparation. Yes. 
Right, right, exactly. So I think taking that moment and thinking, okay, there could be multiple things that are going into this and, you know, what could those be, I think is a really, yeah, it's, it's a good process. Well, so maybe a same aspect when we look at the next piece here of mind and mental health is looking at that. Am I having a forgetfulness? Am I struggling with memory? Of course, one of your big focal points, am I having a, a stress or an anxiety or something? Is that because of age or is it just flat? Again, I'm, I'm going to use the word causation of the day-to-day actions I am taking or not taking. And are we using that? So I'll just put that out there. Are we using that sometimes as a cop-out? It's not age. It's that you're doing X, Y, Z. That would have happened at any point if you'd spent this much time in this, again, act or inact. Yes, I think so. Exactly. Exactly. So um, in our previous show, we were talking about the the idea of a senior moment. And I love that we decided to repurpose that. You had the idea of putting it on a shirt and making it into, what was it? Senior moment of brilliance. Uh, Brilliance, yes. (laughs) I love that. Right. So sort of switching. So the cultural message about senior moments, this term that's really um, popularly used is this idea of categorizing forgetfulness as synonymous with aging. And as, as, as we've talked about, that is, doesn't really make sense given the science. So we know from uh, a lot of research that there is a lot of different types of a memory and some of them stay the same, some of them improve, and there's a lot of room to, um, to, so we found in our research that if we, promote strength and positive age beliefs that that can bring about improvements in memory performance in for, for older participants and in our, in our research projects. So, um, so I think what's important is to get out of some of that negative messaging and think about the potential for, for memory and cognition and, and wisdom. Well, a great segue into work, career, and business. And, you know, we've already talked about retirement and not to paint that as necessarily negative. But again, I'm drawing back to, I think it was right at the beginning of the book. It was one of the first few chapters where you talked about a story that you gave on somebody and he realized he was somewhat being a victim of ageism. And he felt like, man, I've got the most to offer. And you did, you had another story in there too, about somebody who they, they looked at and they were just wowed at, I think it was a medical doc. Yeah, it was a medical doctor, put a kid on his lap and right away diagnosed the issue because he Mm -hmm. could, he had so much experience that again, we have so much to offer at the height of, of our brilliance, let's call it our wisdom, our experience. And that's often when we drop out of the active workplace. And is that relevant? And it seems incredibly negative. Right, right. Yes. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm glad you brought up that. That's um, the case. So that was Jonah, who I, who I, another person who I really enjoyed talking to in the book. He was um, a pediatrician who told me this story of him being um, becoming a wonderful diagnostician. So he, he was able to diagnose very rare um, illnesses in infants and children. And a lot of his younger colleagues looked to him to offer advice. And he told me a story of how one of his younger colleagues brought him into the exam room and he noticed that there was, um, that his colleague wasn't able to diagnose what was the matter with this baby who kept on dropping their head down. And yeah. uh, he, 
so the colleague was just really stymied, didn't know what to do and wanted to help the, the mother and the baby, but didn't, didn't really know what the problem was. And so Donna, this older doctor, he looked at it and, you know, within seconds was able to diagnose it as this rare epileptic illness that he'd seen previously, you know, decades earlier. It was rare, but he had seen it in different cases. So he had this pattern thinking that was extremely helpful in that situation. And, you know, I'm sure improved the, the health of this, of this infant and, in many other cases, he was able to do this as well. And so, yes, I, I think that, and he actually made the case that he was um, encouraged to retire maybe at the height of his um, yeah. expertise and wisdom in, in what he was doing. And so, um, yeah, so I, I think you're right that as a, that, that, in the workplace, that definitely is a place that we could promote positive, positive images of aging and look for some of the strengths that some of the older workers can bring. And we also know from some research that intergenerational teams, so teams that include workers of all different ages, tend to be more innovative and more productive. So there's advantages in, for the workplace, too, of bringing together workers of all different ages. Well, and that's what I'm thinking about here. We've got, like in that example that you showcased, it should be our older people who have, uh, that, to a degree, would be our highest paid consultants. I mean, we've got SCORE, which is a volunteer mentorship. And I'm thinking, no, these people should be paying top, be getting paid top dollar because they have the ability to come into a situation like that and audit, in that scenario, in a medical, to bring in, you know, at some point, daily, weekly, whatever, bring in some of these people who've had incredible experience and showcase, especially the tough cases. Because nobody's had the experience that they have. And it's not something that you can just enter into a computer algorithm and get a diagnosis of. I don't know if AI is going to be able to overcompensate or, or usurp the experience of face-to-face in, in, a, in an arena like that. I think we've got it backwards. Money, finances, and wealth um, is the next one. And on that one, that's an interesting one. Becca, that I, you know, to look at that now, we just talked about that if you're being phased out of the work, that maybe your earning potential isn't up, but we do tend to, well, I'll ask that. It seems like we would tend to expect that there is a level of financial wellness and abundance that someone has achieved. So is that, is that a fair expectation? Do we, are we a little more positive on that or am I missing something? Well, I think, I mean, I think there is, um, I mean, there's just sort of one of the stereotypes. So in the, in the book, I present 14 common negative age stereotypes and the evidence to debunk them. Um, and I think one of the stereotypes is that older people are um, you know, like the sort of the greedy geezers that they have, that they accumulate a lot of wealth and they don't share it with other people. And hmm. we know, in fact, that there is a huge diversity in economic health in later life. I mean, there are some people who are very, um, very, uh, who have profited or who have, you know, have a lot of savings. Um, and then there are a lot of people who are living in poverty. And unfortunately, some of the poverty rates have been going up among older people in different parts of the world. So there's a huge diversity of savings and wealth and prosperity, but also um, the idea that 
people hold on to their wealth and not share it, those who do have it is also um, not, doesn't follow from the research. So there's actually, it's been found that as people get older, they're actually um, more likely to want to give to other people. Their motives for being selfish actually go down. So selfish motives tend to go down and motive to be generative or to give to other generations actually goes up. Older people mm -hmm. are more likely to cycle. They're more likely to give their time and money to different kinds of philanthropic or volunteer organizations that help society. They're more likely to come up with ways to benefit society in different kinds of ways in their jobs and in volunteer activities. So there's a lot of a lot of positive activities that are going on within that realm. You know, I got to ask just with you as the uh, purveyor of this message, I, I mean, what's your perspective on your own yeah, work and, and career, that this is something that, yeah, you want to be up there living this out, doing this for a, a long period of time. I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel very lucky, feel very fortunate to be involved in work, a job, a research um, activity that I, I feel very passionately about, particularly about trying to think about improving aging health. And also, I love working with students and I love working with colleagues who are have different kinds of expertise um so yeah so it's something that i i feel very very fortunate about and um and feel like it's uh, a a blessing to be able to to make this you know part of my life the last one here around achievements and interests and you know, there's a, the, I'm always enamored with kind of the regrets and deathbed regrets. And we have a lot of them with the elderly and they regret the things that they, uh, I think the stat was, it's not the things that they don't have regrets about the things they did. It's the regrets of the things they didn't do. And with that, with the elderly, what is our perspective? I, mean, I guess on one hand we think, oh, they get older and they can just go play golf all day or go travel or whatnot. Do we have a positive image of, of the ability to engage in achievements and interests, you know, hobbies, even personal interests? Is that something that we think of, oh, as we age, that's going to be a positive thing. That's something we're going to be engaging in more or, or is it a negative? Cause we think we won't have, we fear we won't have the, the ability. Right. Well, I think there are, I think both things that you're talking about do, do exist in our culture, but we do know, I do know from my research that there can be an increase in purpose in life in, um, yeah. that comes with positive images of aging. So actually we found that, so we have found a relationship between having you know, more positive age beliefs, taking more positive age beliefs from, from culture or strengthening those positive age beliefs and you know health span and lifespan and we've looked at the mechanism and one of the ways one of the mechanisms that seems to be particularly strong is purpose in life so mm -hmm. people who've taken in more positive age beliefs have a greater purpose in life and that we know can in turn contribute to a greater lifespan and purpose in life can be many different things for different people so for one person it could be you know gardening another person it could be writing poetry, another person, it could be, um, could be volunteering in a, in a homeless shelter and, and you know, becoming active in, in, um, there. So there's a lot of different ways that people can develop, you know, purpose in life or, or and that, that meaning. And I think the important thing is to find something that resonates with, with the individual. So yeah. you can't sort of force somebody to, to find the, the realm that, that works for them. It has to be, you know, whether it's biking or whatever it is, I mean, it, it has to be something that, um, that they enjoy and sort of brings meaning in a way that they can incorporate in their life. 
Yeah, I'm thinking about it. And, and we talked earlier about the idea of the hope and that we can reverse some of the age, some of the negative age aspects and like health and wellness, we can reverse some of those, but maybe never to the degree of reversal or re- achieving a level that we could be at in our older years, if we had been doing those healthy things all along. And I'm thinking about people that I know, and I would say the ones that have really enjoyed and engaged with interest outside of, you know, family and work that, that was all consuming at some point. Now they're older. They don't have those that the ones that have enjoyed their, or are enjoying their achievements and interests and hobbies and personal interests are the ones that were feeding those a little bit, at least along the way at the, as opposed to the ones, cause I've seen this happen and all of a sudden they realize, gosh, I I do have an empty house. Work's not as demanding. I got time. What am I going to do? And and to try to take up something, I guess I could learn gardening or learn how to play golf or whatever, but there's not the, uh, maybe it's a lack of mastery uh, to some degree or familiarity and they're not able to engage as well. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I think you're right. And I think part of, part of that, I think is also the environment that we're in. And so I think there's really an interaction between having an age, positive age, integrated supportive society and how we, you know, how we um, find purpose in our life. And I actually, so in writing the book, one of the things I really enjoyed learning about is this group in Zimbabwe that of these grandmothers who um, developed something called this friendship bench model. And they would meet people in their communities who are having different kinds of mental health problems. So they would meet on this bench in the community and listen to the stories of the people who, who joined them on the bench and offer them advice and try to find ways to help them improve their mental health. And in finding out about this model, what was really um, interesting was that they the, the model, I, I think, was able to prosper because the culture had this positive age, positive beliefs Mm -hmm. and valued the grandmother's role. And then the grandmothers took on this activity that actually improved the health of the community and improved their own health. There had been some really interesting studies of the grandmothers themselves. So by engaging in this activity, it improved their health. And that in turn, I think, elevated the grandmothers in the community. So I think- So I think there's a sort of back and forth between the individual's goals and ways that they want to find purpose and then the community that supports this, you know, um, the the older people being integrated and celebrated, as we talked about, that can happen in, in an age positive culture. So I think, you know, ideally people are working on an individual level, but also as a society, we can all kind of work together and try to promote a society that allows for and promotes this kind of integration and elevation of older people. I like that elevation of older people. You've got me thinking here as you were talking too that, you know, the best way to have joy, and you keep using the word purpose, to have joy and purpose in my later years is to be having in my, in my earlier years, to be fostering those then, not try to find it then. I think that's what grieves me somewhat to see as they get older and now to try to find the joy that you didn't have early on is difficult. It's uh, I see so much abundance in those who have, yeah, again, fostered that along the way and now they get to dive in fully. That's a, that's positive. That's a, that's a brilliant senior moment right there. 
uh, we'll go with that. Hey, thank you. Thanks for walking through that. It was interesting to walk through those and yeah, to consider my perspectives in each of those areas on getting older. Cause, uh, I am, I'm getting older and more brilliant is what we'll take from this. Thanks again. <laughs> yes. Thanks again. No, thank you. And we all are. Yes. Yes, hopefully. we are. Thanks so, for being right. here and bringing your brilliance to us in this book and in this message. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for bringing your brilliance to the conversation. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Becca. <laughs> Okay, friends, again, you can find Becca Levy's new book, Breaking the Age Code, How Your Beliefs About Aging Determine How Long and Well You Live, wherever you get your books and connect with Becca at becca-levy.com. Thank you again for choosing to tune in to the Self-Helpful Podcast. If you got value from the show, subscribe, leave a review. Best thing, tell somebody something you learned. I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself.